We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. Hello and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch, and we're glad you are joining us for tonight's broadcast. Have you ever asked yourself the question, who is Jesus, or what does it mean to be saved? How about questions like, what is eternity, or is there really a God, and where is he when I'm truly suffering? These are just some of the topics we explore every weeknight at this time. Over the next 30 minutes, you are going to hear a small taste of what Pastor Dudley Rutherford's teaching ministry is all about. Let's join Dudley right now as he begins his message for us tonight. I want you to take your Bibles and open them up to 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. If you are a guest here today, uh, we are preaching through this book. It's about five chapters. I have four major points today, and the first point is this. It's called the inevitable principle that everyone suffers. It's inevitable that everyone suffers. There is a false doctrine in our country called health, wealth, and prosperity that basically teaches that if you become a Christian, you won't have any problems, you'll never get sick, and you'll have more money than you'll ever know what to do with. The Bible actually teaches that if you become a Christian, if you get saved, you're probably going to have more problems than what you have right now. In other words, we all have so many problems in our life, and some of you believe that if you become a Christian, that you somehow will have less problems. No, no, no. If you have this many problems and you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're even going to have more problems. The difference is that you won't go through those problems alone. The Bible teaches that Jesus will be with you as you go through the storms of life. Now, when I read the Bible, and especially when I read 1 Peter, the book that we're studying, I reach the conclusion that suffering is normal. It's inevitable. Especially as a Christian, if you stand for your faith in this culture, the world is going to resist you as you swim upstream you're going to suffer. I want to read to you just some of the verses in 1 Peter. I'll put them on the screen. 1 Peter 1, 6, Rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. 1 Peter 2, 21, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. 1 Peter 4.12, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, like this is normal. And 1 Peter 5.8 says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The point I want to make is that it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. Everyone suffers. Everyone goes through trials. 
Jesus himself said these words in Matthew 5, verse 45. He said, He, God, causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. When the sun rises, it shines on the saved and the unsaved. And then it says, And when the rain falls or the storms come, they fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. We live in two camps here today. You're You're in one of the two. You either go around doing evil or you go around doing good. And it doesn't matter what camp you're in. Both camps suffer. I want you to look at verse 12. Now watch this. Verse 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, those of you that do good. He's paying attention. His ears are attentive to their prayer. He hears your prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what? Who do evil. If you live an evil life, you will face the wrath of God one day. If you do evil, the Lord will turn against you. And if you live a good life, the Lord will turn his face towards you. But you're going to suffer either way. Now what I want you to know, and I want you to wake up and learn this lesson... It is far better to suffer for doing good than it is to suffer for doing evil. I want you to look at verse 17. It says, it is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You do good, the world is going to mock you. They're going to vilify you. They're going to persecute you. As a Christian, you're going to suffer. You do evil... Well, you're also going to suffer, but it's a different kind of suffering. The wrath of God is going to come up against you. Number two is what I call the intentional principle, which is always do good. Now look at verse eight. He says, finally, there's a whole lot more to go. All of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, which means if one person hurts, you should hurt with them. Love as brothers and be compassionate and humble. Imagine how different our country would be if everyone just lived according to that one verse of Scripture. All of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, and be compassionate and humble. You wouldn't even recognize this country. You say, that's a pipe dream. Well, look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult rather with with a blessing Uh, this verse alone would change the strife and division in our country instead of trading insult for insult we traded anytime any anyone insulted you you traded that back with a blessing imagine what this world would be like ladies and gentlemen our nation is divided It, it is full of strife Politically, we're divided. Racially, we're divided. It's the Republicans versus the Democrats, us versus them, the rich versus poor, the alt-right versus the far left. And it's getting uglier and uglier. But I want you to know it's not just that it's ugly. It is sinful. It is evil. Whenever we, the church, as believers, hear of something that's negative or critical or evil, we should try to find a way not to, not to get caught up into that, but to find a way to bless people and to honor people. 
That's what this is calling us to do. The only solution, instead of being reactive, is to be proactive. Then there's an indisputable principle, which is there are rewards galore. For anybody who can do good, even when they're being mistreated, there are rewards for that person. And the first reward is you will be blessed. You say, well, what kind of blessings will I have? Well, let's read through this and see exactly what he's talking about. Verse 9 again, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called. You were called to repay insult with blessing so that you may inherit a what? You will receive a blessing. For whoever would love life, how many of you just want to love life? You just want to love life and see good days. You must keep your tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. Instead, verse 11, he must turn from evil and you must do good. And you must seek peace and pursue it. It's not going to be easy. But you have to pursue peace. And verse 12 again, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He will see when you do your good deeds and his ears will be attentive to your prayer. And don't forget the face of the Lord will turn against those who do evil. Verse 13, who's going to harm you when you are eager to do good? Nobody. I mean, if you go out and just start to just serve people and honor people and find ways to bless people, chances are you're not going to suffer for that. But even if you should suffer, if it does happen, for, for what is right, I want you to know, he says, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. You see, that's what you have to decide. Is Jesus Christ going to be your Lord? And if you'll set apart Jesus Christ as your Lord, your King, your ruler, your prayers will be answered. You will love life. You will see good days. You won't grow bitter. The eyes of the Lord will be upon you. You'll have nothing to fear. It's a blessing to know that when you go home at night and you lay your head down, you can go to sleep because you know you've done the right thing today. Even though there were people who mistreated you, you did not mistreat them. Not only will you be blessed, the point of all of this is that other people are going to be saved. He says this in the previous chapter. He's going to say it in the next chapter. He says it in this chapter that when we suffer... When we're willing to do good, when we're falsely accused and mistreated, that the end result is that other people are going to be saved when they see Jesus Christ in us, they will then give their heart to Jesus Christ. He says these words in verse 15, and I've read this my whole life, and until you see the context, I've always looked at it, why did he put this here? Like, it just like jumps out. It's like, it doesn't fit here. But as I think about it, it does fit here. Because what he says in the rest of verse 15, he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. To give the reason for the hope that you have. 
And even do this with gentleness and respect. You should always be willing to give and explain the hope that you have to other people who don't have hope. They should just be on your tongue so that at any moment you can share what Christ has done. This last week I was in Chicago. My wife and I were walking down the street after dinner and uh, there was a, a street performer, this lady, she was singing at this mic and there wasn't really anybody listening. I said, honey, let's stop and listen to her. Stark. And she's singing, and she kept singing the same song over and over. I think she only knew one song. <laughs> I got finished. I went over. I, I took $5 and put it in her bucket and said, thank you. And she said, thank you. She was so excited. And I said, hey, can I ask you a question? Are, are you a Christian? Are you a person of faith? She says, I'm a Muslim. I said, well, are your parents both Muslim? She said, my dad is a Muslim, but my mom converted. She became a Christian. I looked right at her. I said, honey, I'm going to pray that all of your mama's prayers for you will be answered. She knew exactly what I was talking about. (laughs) I turned, I didn't go a hundred steps, and there was a lady there from Korea, and she was vacationing by herself, and she wanted me to take her picture with her camera with the skyline. So she was like, take a picture? I said, yes. I took her picture, I handed her camera back. I said, where are you from? She said, South Korea. I said, what are you doing here, vacation? Uh, how long are you here? A few days. Where are you going? I'm going to New York next. You live in South Korea? Yeah. Where do you, what do you do there for a living? I work at Home Depot. <laughs> she could hardly speak English. I said to her, uh, I go, are you a Christian? She said, no, I'm Buddhist. I said, well, I, I thought all of South Korea were Christians. She says, 50%. I looked right at her. I looked her right in the eye. I said, honey, I I hope that one day that you join that 50% and that you become a Christian and realize how much God loves you. I got back to L.A. the very next day. I went on a bike ride. Afterwards, I was sitting on the trunk of my car, taking my cleats off and putting on some sandals. A car whips around, and the window rolls down. And someone says, Pastor Dudley. And I said, hello? Hello? And uh, this lady says these words. She goes, I'm Jewish. I go, you're Jewish? She goes, yes, and I'm this close to becoming a Christian. You're this close? She says, I'm this close. Oh, I walked right over to that window. I said, ma'am, let me tell you what you need to do. I said, did you know that in our church we have three or four hundred Jewish people in our church? You do? I go, yeah, they're all over. I go, they're people, they're Jewish people who have studied the Old Testament and they've come to the conclusion that Jesus is in fact the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies. And then, and then I said to her, I said, you know what you need to do? She said, what? I said, you just need to Google. Just go home and Google. Uh, What Bible prophecies did Jesus Christ fulfill? I said, you'll have so much to read, and you'll probably reach the same conclusion that those Jewish people in my church have, that Jesus Christ is indeed the Messiah. And she said, okay. 
today. I want to ask you a question. I talked to a Muslim, a Buddhist, and a Jewish person this week. Why does that always happen to me? Because I'm looking for those opportunities. Well, why doesn't it ever happen to you? Because you never are looking for those opportunities. He says to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. In fact, you say, well, what is that? What is the hope that I have? It's right there in verse 18. For Christ died for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. And he was put to death in the body, but he was made alive by the Spirit. And the point of this, again, is that Christ suffered to bring you to God. The point is, you and I should be willing to suffer to bring other people to God. So you just keep doing good. Even when people mistreat you, don't be reactive. Don't trade insult for insult. Be proactive. And instead of an insult for an insult, return an insult for a blessing. And here's what's going to happen. Here, see, I, got the, I, ha, I understand it now. People are going to ask you this question. How can you possibly be so nice to me when I have been so mean to you? And at that moment, you share the hope and the reason that you were lost and messed up and God redeemed you. And now I'm here to tell you that God can redeem you as well. And at that moment, you see God opens up that door of opportunity for you to share Christ and the hope that you have in Him. And that's what this is talking about. As we close, we come to the fourth principle, one more principle. I call it the immersion, the immersion principle. And that is that you are on Jesus' team. You're on Jesus' team. Now, I'm going to read these verses, and again, it seems out of place, but it's really not out of place, and hopefully in your life groups you can take more time and dig into this. But verse 20 says, he starts talking about about baptism. All this suffering for doing good, and he starts talking about baptism. Let's read the verses as we close. Verse 20, who disobeyed long ago when God waited. What's that next word? Aren't you glad that God waits patiently on us? I mean, if I was God, I I would have turned about half of you into french fries by now. (laughs) I would have just zapped you a long time ago. But God is patient with us, isn't he? And Noah preached for a hundred years. A hundred years he preached. It says that God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, and inside that ark only a few people got saved. And the whole world, the whole world was destroyed. But how many people got saved? How many? Eight. Eight. Is that the total number? That's the total number. Eight. They were saved through the water. Verse 21, and this water symbolizes baptism. That now saves you. It's not the removal of dirt of the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if he resurrected, then where is he now? Well, the next verse says, who has gone into heaven. And today he's at God's right hand with the angels and the authorities and the powers in submission to him. 
It's a reminder that the Lord Jesus Christ is large and in charge. And he's actually conquered, he's conquered the grave. And Romans 6.4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism. Jesus died on a cross and was buried. And we, when we're baptized, we're buried with him through baptism into death in order that, so that, here's the reason why, just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, well, guess what? You and I, we too, one day will live a new life. And the point is that we're on Jesus' team. When you ever see anybody get baptized, it should remind you, hey, there's another guy on Jesus' team. I'm on his team. There's another guy on his team. It's not that he's on our team. We're on his team. And here's the point. Write this down. The minority wins. How many people were saved? Eight. Don't you worry about anything else. You keep doing good even when people mistreat you. You don't have to overcome anything. Just keep doing good. And in the end, if, you're, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you've set him apart as Lord. You're on his team. And you're going to win. Remember, these people were persecuted. They were hiding. Some of them were in the catacombs. They were where they used to bury people down underneath the ground. They were running scared for their life because Rome was in charge persecuting Christians. And no doubt people in the church were thinking, I'm all alone. I, we're going to lose. Rome is this powerful nation. They're out to, to run the entire world, and my voice is getting softer and softer and softer. I, there's no way I could compete against Rome. I said, hey, don't forget the people, those eight people. They, there were eight people, eight people, the minorities ended up winning. I'm on Jesus' team. Right? And write this down, write this down. He just wants them to know that judgment is certain. I mean, there is coming a day, just as in the days of Noah, where God's going to come back and judge all this world. And when Jesus Christ returns, oh, I hope you're listening. When Jesus returns, I hope he finds you doing good, even to those who mistreat you. You're on the winning team. And the minority, we will be living with him for all of eternity in that city where the streets are paved with gold. We hope the message you just heard tonight from Pastor Dudley has been a blessing to you. Isaiah 55:11 reminds us that the preaching of God's word never returns void. We want you to know we have phone counselors standing by if you are in need of prayer. Our number is simple to dial. It's 888-818-4777. We know the enemy is always at work with his deliberate and calculated attacks against us. So please don't hesitate to call us if you are alone and need to pray with someone right now. Again, our phone number is 888 818 4777. 
As Christians, we are often faced with trials, sorrows, and struggles of many kinds. Jesus never promised we would be free from tribulation once we become believers. However, God does show us through the wisdom of His Word how to overcome and even rejoice in the difficult times we are experiencing. Some of the most essential keys to a joyful Christian walk are found in the small New Testament book written by James, the brother of Jesus. In his book, Keeping a Smile on Your Faith, Pastor Dudley Rutherford takes you through a study of the book of James and shares the spiritual disciplines necessary to help you persevere as a believer, even during the most challenging times in your life. Pastor Dudley's book, Keeping a Smile on Your Faith, can be yours right now for a gift of any size to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. Call us right now so we can get this powerful resource into your hands. Our toll-free number is 888-818-4777. You will learn the powerful tools to encourage you in your faith, how to extend Jesus' love to others, and walk with Him daily with a smile. Our number again is 888-818-4777. And when you call, ask for your personal copy of Pastor Dudley's book, Keeping a Smile on Your Faith. I'm Kyle Welch, hoping you'll join us again tomorrow night at this same time here on KKLA as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.